You're listening to the Girls on the Grid podcast with Tanea and Priya. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 8 of Girls on the Grid. I'm Priya and I'm here today with my co-host Tanea. And we're actually, for the first time, in the same location. We are not doing this We on are Zoom. live. We we're are not live here in Tasmania. We're not live because it's coming out on a Monday. But it's it's live. I mean, I could, I could touch you right now in the non-creepy way if I wanted to, <laughs> but I'm not going to. I'm going to sit a respectable 1.5 metres away from your smelly face. Right, right. But you know what's good about this? We don't have to deal with my shitty internet issues. Exactly. So Normally it takes me about four hours to edit a podcast because Priya's audio um, doesn't, doesn't like... Priya's internet doesn't like... Audio and video at the same time. It usually mm-hmm. picks one or the other. So yeah, it makes it difficult. But yeah, this is a lot easier. We this, should do this more often. We should. We don't but actually... I don't like you. True. Can you yeah. turn your phone on mute? We're doing something important here. Thank you. Sorry. My mum's trying to call me. I'm Priorities. <laughs> Be like, mum, I'm doing a podcast. I'm doing my podcast. We're in Tasmania. It is a Saturday night. We've just been out to dinner and we're sitting down to chat all things Tasmania, all things girls in motorsport, all things Tanea and Priya, before we roll into a really cool chat with one of kind of the most pivotal women in the sport who kind of paved the way for all of us to be where we are now. So mm-hmm. we'll roll that chat later on. But right now, Priya, other than sitting across from my pretty face, what do you got going on? Oh God, well here we are in Tasmania. Um, it's been a pretty good weekend, very decent weather, very decent. Very different to Sydney. Yeah, yeah, we're not being drowned, which is nice. Um, I actually wouldn't mind, it's, I mean, it's not hot, but I mean, nice. I've been in a sweater all day today, so. Yeah, it's been. Comfortable. Comfortable weather, for hmm. sure. It's nice. But we've been busy, um, with airtime and Walkinshaw. What about you? I've been busy with Network R and all of our cool clients. Are you saying you're better than me? <laughs> well, no, I'm not saying that. I'd say we are both good at what we do. Both mm. great at what we do. Let's hype ourselves up. We're just getting it done in Tassie. We're making some videos, taking some photos, running some social media pages. That's pretty much what a weekend looks like for me, really. Uh, the fact that it's a two-day race weekend means it's very, very busy. Like, not two days. There was cars on track on Friday, but the fact that supercars only rolled out this morning, being Saturday. It's all at once. It's very, very condensed, and there's not a whole lot of time to sort of uh, take note of what's going on or, or really co- sort of slow down. It's it's a kind of 7 a.m. to sort of 9, 10 p.m. kind of schedule by the time you get ready, get set, mm-hmm. get to the track, get there for signing sessions drive half an hour from Launceston into Simmons Plains and then by the time we finish editing of nighttime with everything ready to go out the following day. She's she's pretty busy. Uh, today's racing here in Tassie for a track that isn't super kind of what's the word? Long, Long or eventful. I mean there's one I think there's one interesting part of the track and that's the hairpin. But it was alright. 
the racing, there was a lot of biff and barge. Like, the drivers mm. were really hungry today. And I was like, I was sitting in the media centre going, ooh, ah, ooh. Like, is he going to shunt? Is he going to send someone? And I think even the qualifying results, they were interesting. I like that sure. three-part qualifying. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, Kemi Waters was on pole today. Shane Van Gisbergen converted in the race. Uh, those, SVG, he's just a whole nother level. Mm, like, no one seems to, it's just a team mm. and him. No one really seems to have an answer for him. He did get out-qualified by his teammate, though, Brock yeah. Feeney. Mm-hmm. In his third race start as a main game driver, qualified third, while Shane Van mm-hmm. Gisbergen was fifth. That's kind of a bit of a slap in the face. It's very impressive, though. Like, really, SVG up the gear. And that's what he did in the race. He come out a whole different level. Like, he was one step ahead. He drove from fifth to first. Mm -hmm. Like, and everyone else just went backwards. So, Mm -hmm. he was... He definitely kind of smartened up after that qualifying and and really took it to another level. But I think the supercars have been interesting this weekend. But what the hell is going on with F1? Oh my god, Saudi has been like bombed. Yeah, this this is unheard of. This shocked me that it's even going forward. Like but... I saw I saw a meme and like this is not something to be joking about, but I saw a meme about twenty twenty Melbourne Grand Prix where it was like, Oh COVID case, we oh, better leave. There were like, like what, two COVID cases and they shut the whole thing down. And like people were on planes, like the drivers before they called the event. Like yeah. Kimmy and Sam. And, and Lewis was stuff. like, no, I'm out. They were all on planes, and, like, this place has been bombed five kilometres or something from wherever they are. Sorry if we're not politically correct, because... I haven't looked into the whole thing. I have not followed it. I've been a little busy with, you know, the back-to-back supercar sessions. Mm -hmm. But the fact that they're still racing this weekend is kind of... I just just want everyone to stay safe and and be safe, and that's really the first thing that's on my mind. Mm -hmm. Speaking of the F1s, though, on a better note... There have been two female drivers, Abby Pulling and Asil Al Hamid, become the first ever women to drive F1 cars in Saudi Arabia. First ever women in general, or not first in ever general. women in Saudi? I think it's been about forty years since wow. they've had a woman in an F1 car, which is insane. When That's you think a about long it. time. So, That's like two yeah. of us. But these are the these are the first to drive a modern. F1 car. That's so, so cool. And that was with BWT Alpine? Yep. So the V8 powered E20 car um, during a demo um, by the team around some landmarks in Saudi Arabia. That's cool. Which is pretty awesome. I think I think it's good for, it's really good for the sport and the and women obviously getting that recognition. And for well, them especially to put, for F1. For them it's to huge. be put on the F1 stage. Yeah. And like That's well done cool. to Alpine for mm-hmm. well, however that sign that however that opportunity came about like mm-hmm. well done for making that happen i remember seeing mm-hmm. it on social media and i was like that is really huge. cool it's, it's huge it's huge yeah and so abby pulling she is well she's a, a w series driver but al hamad i'm sorry if i'm not saying that right she represents saudi arabia on the fia women in motorsport commission and is a board member of the saudi automobile and motorcycle federation and that sounds fun. Yeah. And she's leading the development of strategies and policies to promote the education and training of women in motorsport in Saudi Arabia. So that's huge. That's huge. She's doing some cool stuff. We were we actually were speaking to someone, someone who listened to our pod come up to both of us today mm-hmm. uh, at Tassie and was like, are you guys girls on the grid? And I, I get how she wouldn't know because it's just our voices. But we were yep. talking... We were talking, and I assume she just triggered just mm-hmm. based on mm-hmm. like our we're voices. Making a scene, as yeah, we do. <laughs> we're making a scene. We're, oh my god, 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 oh my
um, we're a little bit extra whenever we're together because we're both so busy and we both work in opposite directions. Mm. Like we're both, if I'm going to B, Priya's gone to A. Like we're just, wait, that was yeah. a horrible example. If I'm working at A, Priya's gone to Z, you know, or Z. That was complete opposite ends. Complete opposite ends is what I'm trying to say. But um, so like we very rarely see each other. But this weekend mm. I'm buzzing up and down the pit lane and Priya's based in wall control, but I'm like pinging from from A to Z with covering all all different clients. Um, so we've actually run in, run into each other quite a bit, mm-hmm. and we we're just being doofuses like having we are giggles. this morning, having having a lull. <laughs> and yeah, this lady this lady came up and she was like, "It's so good to hear you guys talk about the female side of the sport. Like whenever." women or, or wags horrible term but wags are interviewed on uh, a normal motorsport podcast they mm. always ask the women the partners the and personal the boyfriends, life that seems the to be the most interesting thing for some reason but they it? ask it from the perspective of the person that person being a supporting player exactly whereas we're trying to talk about no maybe maybe the husband's the supporting player maybe exactly. the woman Maybe the woman is the powerhouse. Like, mm. she's the one who holds the cards. Mm. But it's never been asked like that because the woman's always seen as the secondary kind of supporting role. Mm-hmm. But we're going to change that. That's what that's, that's what, what we're here to do. That's what we do. But no, it was awesome. And it's nice to know that you're getting that recognition as well and that people are getting something out of it sure. as well. For sure. So that was really cool. That was an awesome encounter. That's... Every time, like... Like, I love to chat to people who love the podcast because really people who love the podcast just love the things we love mm. because we're, we're spending our time, same. time where we probably could be doing other things, but we're spending our time to make this podcast because mm. what we talk about, we're passionate about the things and the people and the issues and the kind of things mm. going on in the world. Like, that's the stuff that drives us. Mm. So when people enjoy listening... We're on the same wavelength. Yeah. Like, and we're have, fans of the sport. Yeah. And to have someone come up and say that they're as passionate about it as us, they're on the same level, that's that's really cool. Yeah, it's, it's and really it's very cool. motivating for us. For sure. I guess. So, I reckon it's time we get into this chat. What do you reckon? I reckon we roll the chat with our guest. Mm-hmm. Our guest is Melinda Price. She is probably one of the most experienced female race car drivers in the country. She was part of the Castrol Cougars in the 90s. She has one hell of a story. Oh, yeah. Including yeah. a eventful day at Winton where she drove with the one and only Stephen Richards. Who I feel like you know like, kind of yeah. well. Yeah, but... Seen him once or twice, I mean, maybe? Yeah, a few times, a few mm. times. Yeah. Um, don't really know him, yeah. But I didn't, I didn't even know <laughs> This is something that I didn't even know. So, yeah, it was a really good chat. Yeah. We, I learned a lot, to be honest. And she's um, awesome. Like, her story is so cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And before we give it away, fangirling over Melinda Price. We fangirl over everyone. Well, I mean, we are fans. <laughs> yeah. So this chat with Mel is awesome. After we chat to Mel, we have reached out to you guys on our socials to have a little bit of Q&A, have a little bit of fun, a little bit of lightheartedness at the end of the chat. So make sure you guys stick around for that. Let's just roll that chat with Mel. And it is awesome to welcome Melinda Price to the Girls on the Grid podcast. Melinda, Mel, whatever you want to go by, you've got a world of experience behind the wheel. You're probably 
one of the most experienced female drivers in the country. So tell us a little bit about your motorsport story. All right, I started uh, started in go-karts. I have a, a, the price name has been involved in motorsport and karting in Australia for a really long time. So um, my father used to race and my, with his brothers and the whole family. So I uh, was essentially the eldest son and started racing go-karts as soon as I was old enough to. Uh, we did that as a family with my younger brother as well for a long time. Um, eventually uh, got, got the call up uh, to drive a car and went into production cars. Uh, and one thing led to another, went from drive to drive, ended up uh, being lucky enough to be part of the Castrol Cougars and drive uh, touring cars here for a few years. Uh, then I was lucky enough to go overseas and do a few races at the Nürburgring and a race in Italy. And, yeah, it was pretty exciting. Came back and, and had a bit of a break there for a while. Had about 10 years away from motorsport. Um, and then just just got my licence again about seven or eight years ago and have sort of become totally addicted and fallen in love with it all again. So right back to the beginning now, racing go-karts. I've just bought my own race car for the first time and um, we're, we're off again with the second second stage. So starting out when you were in karts, did you was it just something that you did for fun or did you have that realisation that you were going to race professionally or was it something that you just always knew was going to happen? Look, I think in the beginning it was obviously something that the whole family was heavily involved in and took very, very seriously. And for me, when I was just starting and quite young, it was fun. I was out there racing with my mates and, you know, running up and down the grid, wishing everybody good luck before we went out on the track and stuff like that. Um, You know, much to the annoyance, I guess, of my dad sometimes because it was, you know, it was super competitive and serious for him. But after racing for a few years, at some point that killer instinct did kick in and I really, you know, cared about winning and wanted to to beat everybody and absolutely wanted to go on to race cars. So you're a mum, you're a driving coach, you're a naturopath, you're now an XL racer. Yes. Is there something you can't do? What's an average day look like in in the life of Melinda Price? Uh, It's... You know, it's been a bit crazy, you know. When I stopped racing, um, you know, and and then Lily was born and I had breast cancer at that time and went through treatment and and the world kind of stopped there for a couple of years. Um, And, you know, it was just a a real effort to just get through the day really and be able to look after her. But bit by bit as I got back into the world and got my strength back and whatever, I at that time decided to go to university which I do not recommend at the age of 40 for anybody out there. Anyway, it took me eight years to, to finish my degree to become a naturopath part-time. Um, but in that time, just towards the end, I'd started racing go-karts again and I'd done some historic racing again and had completely and utterly fallen in love with motorsports. So as much as I still have a few patients that I, that I look after now, what I want my days to look like is what they're slowly turning into, which is just being at the track. Um, so I've just backed my – can't even get the grease out of my nails yet from being up at Warwick in Queensland on the weekend looking after some kids up there go-karting. I was at Lakeside testing my, my XL um, with all the new bits for the first time on Thursday and I'm, you know, back over to Adelaide racing with the go-karts, well, pit crewing with the go-karts this weekend and then having my first race back up in Queensland next weekend in the XL. So just another day, another racetrack. So when you were pregnant with your daughter, Lily, that's when you found out you had breast cancer, which is 
a lot for that particular time in your life with becoming a mother as well. So how have you been, that was about 10 years ago, how have you been since? Yeah, good. It was certainly, you know, it's a really long road to recovery um, with, with all of the treatment and stuff like that that you have. But um, it was right at the very end of my pregnancy when we found it. So it was sort of the best day and worst day of my life all in the same day. They sort of, I went to see the doctor and he said, okay, the results are in and you've got breast cancer. So, um, you know, go home and pack your bags. And then come to the hospital tonight because we're going to induce the baby today so that we can operate on you. So it was pretty, um, you know, I remember when the doctor gave me the news and I was living in Batemans Bay at that time, I sort of went out and stood out over the hill where the car park was that looked out over the ocean and my stomach was out here because I was nine months pregnant and it was all a bit, um, a bit to take in. But I guess at the time all I cared about was you know, wanting to be around for the next 50 years to be her mum, which is why I went back to university to study to become a naturopath. Um, but Lily was born and I think um, throughout the treatment, you know, it was, I'm glad that she was so young because she doesn't remember it and she never got to see um, any of the bad stuff, but she slept a lot and we spent a lot of time, she's just here now, she spent a lot of time um, sleeping with me and stuff. But sometimes, um, you know, I, I even forgot that I was going through that because I had this beautiful little baby in front of me that I'd always wanted to put a smile on my face every day. So sometimes we'd be down the street walking in the pram or something like that and I'd completely forget what was going on until I saw my reflection in the mirror and saw that I was huge and bald and whatever. Um, so it was great to have her there to go through all of that. Um, but also, you know, and just you know, physically and mentally, like, it, it destroyed me. You know, I couldn't pick her up when she was a baby and stand up and get off the floor at the same time because I was just so weak. Um, and, you know, I'd get halfway through a sentence and would have no idea what I was talking about. So it's been a really long um, road back to just being able to sort of function at that level and do a full race day or hold on to a go-kart or do all of those things. Um but I got my 10 years all clear this year, so that's exciting and a sort of a bit of a full stop and put that in the past and get on with life. So, like, I guess everyone would probably think that having that news just after newborn would be, like, absolutely heartbreaking. Well, of course it is, but you sort of almost are in the situation where you had something to fight for. Like, you've just gone through all this, had a brand-new newborn baby, and that was like your motivation, that, that sort of kept you going, wanting to fight. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and also just brought so much joy to my life every day, even if I felt awful, which was often the case, you know. She was just there to make me smile and make me happy. And so I didn't, didn't focus on, on, you know, what I was going through and all of that at all. So I, I think, you know, that was... Uh, in one respect, good timing, because I can see how easy it would be to end up in a really bad place going through that if you didn't have something to bring joy into your life every day as well. Is is what you went through during that period what sort of inspired you to chase the, the naturopath kind of pathway? Is that seeing, like, going through all the things you went through, is that why you wanted to become a naturopath or was it something else? Yeah, I mean, I'd always sort of in the back of my mind said, you know, if I if I won Tatsotto or something and didn't need to work anymore, that that was something that I wanted to do. Um, but absolutely at that time, all I cared about was 
doing everything I could to make sure I was going to be around for another 50 years to be her mum. So purely selfish reasons. <laughs> so you took some time off motorsport for a little while and now you're back, you're doing excels. How did you catch the bug again? What brought you back? Oh, during my treatment, I'd moved back to Melbourne and I'd walked away. And to be honest, when I stopped racing, I'd been racing for a long time and I was in my late 20s. And, you know, I'd had a few bad experiences and, and you know, there, there became a few, you know, it got to the point where there was probably more that I didn't like about it than I did. So I, I walked away. But when I, when I came back, I'd moved back to Melbourne. Lily was a baby. I was still having my treatment down here. And um, I was talking to my dad. And he is a mechanic for, um, for some historic guys. And one of our good family friends has a race car. And, and he goes over to Europe for a few months every year. So dad just said out of the blue one night, you know, while Kim's away, the Lotus is, you know, I'd gone to the track and watched them race a bit and started smelling the fumes again. He said, oh, the Lotus is sitting there and Kim said that we can use it while he's overseas. And I was like, what do you mean I drive it? And he said, yeah. And I was like, oh, like hadn't hadn't thought about racing for, you know, nearly 10 years. And anyway, went went to bed and just slept on that that night and, you know, just was all I could think about. And the next Friday we were off to Winton um, for the first drive, which was horrible. Like I was so... Um, still finishing my treatment and I was just so weak and and everything and I was driving around the track thinking oh my god I can't drive anymore like I just couldn't change gears and everything was horrible um and you know I was just exhausted after a few laps and whatever but we did a few sessions and and kept you know uh, I was hooked then and it's been again just building it up to get back to sort of hopefully full speed all right so let's talk about probably the biggest thing a lot of the men and women who listen to our podcast will probably know Castrol Cougars. Now, Castrol are a big fan. Sorry, not fan. Friend. I was going to say friend. So, Castrol are a big friend of ours here at Girls on the Grid. But let's talk about let's talk about that period. You raced professionally back in the nineties as a part of the Castrol Cougars team that was run by Larry Perkins, and. At that time, it was it was very rare, more so now, to see a female in the seat. At yeah, during the nineties, you know, we we do all this work now to try and get more women into the sport. But the nineties was I was born in the nineties, the late nineties, but it was a long time ago for me. I mean, I don't remember any of it. But what were the reactions like at that time? Tell us what that experience was like for you. Oh, look, it was incredible. I um, you know, um. I'd been racing sort of nonstop, I guess. So that was my my whole career from carts to cars. And the dream was always, uh, you know, especially in Australia, was to get to touring cars. Um, and when the opportunity presented itself, I sort of couldn't, you know, couldn't believe it really. But I remember just being out at Calder and there was me and Karen and Larry and Russell and um, the Holden, Holden people were there um, and just... You know, they're like, who wants to get in the car and, and go out first? And I'm like, me, me, me. And it was just, it was amazing. Um, and so as much as I was pinching myself and so excited to be there, the the reception was probably a little bit mixed. For the most part, it was really good. In terms of the other drivers, let's say, there were some drivers that were, um, you know, that were quite a fair bit older than 
than us and a little bit, let's say, old school from when motorsport was much more male-dominated and, and, you know, the sort of male chauvinistic era was still in full swing. But the younger drivers, such as your dad, Steve, who, you know, who I grew up racing with and the other guys that I'd race carts against and stuff like that, um, were fantastic and everybody was stoked. I mean, I think, you know, from, from that generation onwards, drivers are just drivers and, and there's very little discrimination that I've sort of noticed about that. But the older guys were a little bit um, put out about the whole thing. But I, I think the most exciting part for me was the reaction of the fans. Like every every mother, woman and child in the thing would, would come past and just say how good it was and most of the guys you know, most of the male fans would as well. So there was huge support from the fans to have a girls a girls team on the grid. There were a lot of highlights for the sport in that period of, of time. It was just, it was such an awesome time for motorsport back then. What were kind of your favourite moments? Oh, look, there, there's lots. But I, I guess at our first Bathurst, which was just, you know, I remember when we went down to the driver signing in town and to just see people there queuing up to get your autograph just blew my mind like I didn't even have an autograph before that weekend so I had to you know make one up and people were standing there you know lining up to get posters so that was um you know something I hadn't experienced before um but one of my first Bathursts um Kieran Perkins was starting the race and at the start of the race he said on the commentary Melinda Price and gentlemen start your engines so that was pretty cool um but I guess one of one of the one of my favourite racing highlights that I'll never forget is is racing over at the Nurburgring and driving with Sir Jack Brabham. Um, just just having my name on you know my name on the same window as as him was pretty cool. So credit to you, Melinda, for everything that you and that team did for women in motorsport back in the nineties. You really paved a path for the fact that this is possible to have a girl or a woman in the sport on the grid in a professional capacity. Do you think that there's space for that now? We saw that with Simona, she come in for a couple of years and, and really turned some heads, but not at the moment. Like we've got 25 cars, 25 men. Is Are we in the place that this might happen? We're seeing things like W Series doing really good things over on the F1 undercard. Is there people that are gonna invest in a woman's team and do we have the driver capable to take it up to the boys? Yeah, look, I I think it's absolutely in the future. And what I've noticed lately, which has been really, really cool, because I've been back out at the go-karts, seeing all the young kids coming through, is just how many young girls there are out there racing. Um, and I was even just out there yesterday out at, at Warwick and I was having a look and there was a whole bunch of them, you know, six of them all standing there with their race suits and their rib vests on, all chatting and, and just being great mates and stuff. And there's so many more girls just coming through that have absolutely no doubt that um, they will filter through to all the other categories in the future. I mean, I think what Simona did was fantastic. I think, you know, she's the real deal and she's doing fantastic things overseas as well. And it's probably a bit of a shame that she she didn't perhaps get a better opportunity to show how good she was out here. But, you know, um, there's plenty of women, like you say, the W Series and in other categories all around the world that I'm sure those numbers will only go up in the future. So I didn't actually know about this until I'd mentioned to Dad that we were interviewing you, 
But you and my dad, you both raced together and you finished second at one of the Winton endurance rounds. The Winton six hour. I've still got my trophy downstairs. <laughs> no, that's that's so awesome. But you've raced you've raced in so many different types of categories over the years and alongside many different drivers. Which one would you say has been the highlight? Oh, well, driving the car with Jack Brabham, like I said, is probably something I'll never forget. But when I was over there, he actually, I actually got the opportunity to do a lap of the Nürburgring, um, the long track, in the passenger seat with him driving. And um, I'd never driven the track before, and he had obviously driven it many, many times. So I was sitting there super excited just to, you know, the whole, just to be there, to be in the race, to especially be driving with him. So I strapped in for my uh, passenger lap and he looked over before we left the pits and he said, it's not very often these days I get to make a young girl squeal. (laughs) Anyway, and he took me on this amazing lap of the Nürburgring and that's just something I'll never forget. Oh, my God. (laughs) Can we just take a moment? Sir Jack Brabham was a baller. Yeah, very so good, so good. I mean, slightly inappropriate, but great call. Like, contextually, in the moment, you would have been, like, probably very uncomfortable, but it's also just, like, something that you look back on now and you're like, yeah, you did. Oh, he had a smile from ear to ear. He was very cheeky. Yeah, it was fantastic. I actually cost, cost us the win in that race, which I'm sure your dad probably remembers as well. We should have won that race, but I made a bit of a mistake and we ended up coming second. All right, let's get, let's get Richo on the pod. Let's get Richo. If we get Richo in here, you guys can just debate it out about who cost you the race there. <laughs> he said something about, was it a stall or, or did it get too... Yeah, I stalled in the pits. You win some, you lose some. <laughs> All right, imagine this kind of, I don't know, is it an alternate universe? Is it this universe? You can drive, race competitively, whatever car or category you want. No budget worries. You can, you're as fit as you want. You can do it, like anything. What is that situation for you? Well, my uh, 25-year-old Mel would have said Formula One or, you know, any, well, any age Mel other than now. <laughs> I'd obviously still even... Um, you know, even just to get the opportunity to drive a car like that would absolutely blow my mind. But probably one of the funnest races that I've ever had was in a in a Porsche out at Winton in the pouring rain. And just in terms of a racing car and how much I enjoyed driving that car, probably something like Carrera Cup would certainly put a smile on my face. Career-wise, are there any opportunities you wish you had taken that you chose not to? Yeah, look, I mean, I could probably write a list of things that I'd probably do different um, if I had the chance. I mean, I actually wanted to leave school and and become a mechanic and Dad wanted me to go to university, which I did, and I've got, you know, science degrees and a whole bunch of other things that I'm not using, which I probably wish I had have learnt more um, from a mechanical point of view, which I think would have made me a better test driver and stuff like that as well. But... um, yeah, I don't know. There's, I don't know. There's probably a few things that I would have liked to have done differently, but I certainly can't complain about the opportunities that I got. I mean, I got the chance to drive a lot of racing cars and I, I was racing for a really, really long time. And it's a really, really hard, you know, we're always searching as racing car drivers for your budget for the following year and nothing's ever locked in. So grateful for all the chances that I did have. 
Now, I know that not everyone can see your face at the moment because we're primarily a podcast, but your face absolutely lights up anytime you talk <laughs> about your daughter. Like you just go from just grin to ear to ear. She's the light of your life. How does she feel about you going back to racing? Here her. she is. She's joined us on the pod. Lily. Welcome to Girls on the Grid, Lily. Hi, Lily. Hi. What do you feel about mummy racing? this is her first time in front of a camera lily's just got her first go-kart um and because of covid she got it for her birthday last year and we never actually got to make it to the track um because of lockdown and everything and by the time the tracks finally opened again she'd outgrown it and we had to get her a new chassis uh so we still haven't been to the track but she's got her go-kart there ready to go so hopefully soon she can have a spin and see if she gets the bug or not. I think she'll get the bug. <laughs> oh no! I was just going to say, what are Lily's aspirations? Does she want to? Does she want to go out there? Or is she just having fun at the moment? She's not sure yet. We have to just hope that she's got no driving genes from her father's side of the family. <laughs> no, we we've been um, in you know hire karting and stuff and out to the track once before. So. You know, if she enjoys just driving around, there's no pressure for us to have to race straight away. But obviously, if that's where we end up, um, mummy will be very happy. (laughs) You better start saving your money. (laughs) I think people forget that it's okay to just do this sport for fun. Like it's okay to just go out on a Saturday and just drive just because you love it. Just because you get in a car, it doesn't mean you want to go to F1. Like it can just be a hobby. Yeah, I mean, it it absolutely can. It's probably not, not... You know, I come from a very competitive background and I guess probably most people that take up motorsport or something like go-karting are generally pretty competitive. But absolutely, you know, I started doing the retro karting again, which was all of the, um, you know, the go-karts that I was racing when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s uh, with all of my mates that, that I was growing up racing with and we've all started doing that again in the last few years and that's absolutely as much uh, about a you know social catch-up almost a reunion every time I mean sure we get super competitive at the end of it but you know we have a lot of fun too and I think in the the modern karting at the moment certainly things are a whole lot more serious than they were when I you know did it now it's all corporate and tense and everything's very professional and transporters and insane amounts of money so I sort of feel lucky that I got to grow up and, and race carts at the time that I did because it was absolutely a lot more fun. So what do you think we should be doing to give girls more opportunity in racing? Do you think it's fair at the moment? Are we, are we hitting all the right markers or is there something in the sport that needs to change? Look, having just come back, um, you know, I, I haven't you know, lived and breathed the whole thing enough to sit there and point any fingers. I'm really pleased with how many women I see certainly racing go-karts and other categories and how they're received and and how I hear other people, you know. I, I don't have any negative feedback from anything that I've seen or heard uh, since I started racing again and I'm just stoked to see, um, you know, uh, things like what you're doing as well and the women in motorsport and you know, women in karting and all of these new associations. And I think by um, by uniting together as a group, we're going to be much stronger and guarantee, you know, success in the future for all of us, hopefully. Now let's talk about your 
current plans. Tell us about the XL. How'd that come about? Hi. Tell us about the XL. How'd that come about? Yeah, I don't really know. I just started racing go-karts again and restoring um, some go-karts and, and became addicted to go-karts. And along the way, I'd done an endurance race at Phillip Island with some friends of mine about four years ago and absolutely loved that. Um, and then, I don't know, was just buying engines and go-karts and thinking this is really starting to cost a fair bit of money. I could probably buy a racing car um, and do that and, and had gotten to the stage where I'd really wanted to get back into racing cars as well. And the guys that I'd raced with had, had this car in their garage so I knew it was a good car and they were happy to sell it to me. So I just decided that I'd, um, that I'd just really wanted to make come back and try and make racing my life I didn't want to do you know be a naturopath anymore I'd started doing driver training and that was what I wanted to do so I thought I'm just gonna try and do it all myself for the first time which is an exciting new adventure um, and obviously the XLs are, are really popular at the moment and you can race them everywhere and it was sort of a car that was affordable to me as a start um, although I feel like I'm standing there going like this at the moment with, with all the money that I don't have trying to, to get it ready. But, um, you know, yeah, look, it's a fun category. I enjoyed driving it and just thought, yeah, let's try and see if we can have our own car for once. And what's it like for you to be able to continue the association with Castrol? Obviously, it was the Castrol Cougars. And now, however many years it is later, the fact that Castrol are still there supporting you, they want to see you get back in the car and race and a castrol wrapped xl looks pretty darn cool if i do say so myself it is the best looking car um yeah it was super exciting i had it out in the new livery um out at lakeside for the first time last week and it just looks so amazing on track so obviously really you know stoked to be involved with castrol i mean the castrol cougars is probably absolutely what i'm most known for and even still and so that's kind of put me on the map and as soon as I said that I was buying a car or I talk about any kind of racing people always comment and they're always saying oh Castrol Cougars is it going to have Castrol on it so I think that's um you know we're we're a team and, and everybody remembers us as being a team so to continue that again is is fantastic I mean I couldn't couldn't picture myself wearing any other colors really so other than the excels, could we expect to maybe see you in something else in the future? Will you put your hand up if you get an opportunity or are you just happy at the moment kind of cruising along? No, I'm absolutely, you know, I am loving um, having my own car and sort of, you know, I've learned more about cars in the last six months than I've learned in my whole life so far and just getting in there and doing everything myself and, and sort of being my own little team. I'm really, really enjoying that. But really want to try and turn this in, you know, turn my little race team into a business and certainly hoping that that does eventually lead to some faster things as well. Now, Mel, we ask all of our guests this question. We want to see what the kind of recurring sort of advice is for this question. So what advice do you have for women getting into motorsport in any capacity as a driver, as media, as as any anything to just be on the grid with us, not actually in the car, but just on the grid in general? How do we go about that? How do they go about that? Look, I always made a, a very um, strong point out of not expecting or wanting to be treated any differently because I was a woman. 
um, whether that be given special favours or being discriminated against. I mean, I think that we've all got as much right as anybody else to be there. And, you know, that's one of those sports where there's no reason why women can't be as good as men. So I just think, you know, to, to be successful in motor racing these days, you have to live and breathe it um, and just be committed and be focused. And I think if, if that's what you do, like with most things in life, that you'll probably succeed. I don't know if you've been following it, but what are your thoughts on the W Series? Yeah, I'm probably not that knowledgeable on it, to be honest. I've been trying to, um, been so you know, busy running around doing my own stuff that I, I don't spend enough time keeping up on what's happening in the rest of the world. I've been quite introverted at the moment. I mean, I'm absolutely, that the fact that one even exists shows, you know, the level of support that's out there for women in racing. Now the serious stuff starts. All Everything before that was just fluff. Serious content. Serious content starting right here. Melinda Price. Would you rather a street circuit or a permanent circuit? Permanent circuit. She's better at this than us, Priya. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, um, um, but like this, but I would also like this because of this. And then like, I like street circuits, but like, and I was like, this is not the point of this. The last time I did one of these, I got in trouble for not answering the questions and just waffling on too much. So I'm trying to answer properly. It's harder because... You want to prove your point. You want to prove your point. I need to justify my answer, you know? <laughs> she calls it, she calls the permanent circuit. What about driving in the wet or driving in the dry? No, the dry. Would you rather watch supercars in the 90s or supercars now? In the 90s? <laughs> I agree. Big call. <laughs> I wasn't even born, but I agree. What else we got? P-Dog? All right. Would you rather race full-time overseas or full-time in Australia? Uh, if, I, if I had the opportunity now to go overseas, I'd definitely take it. What would you race if you went overseas other than F1? Would it be a GT car? Would it be maybe a Porsche? Yeah, maybe GT or Porsche. Bit of endurance kind of deal? Anything. 24-hour race? You reckon you got 24 hours in you? Oh, yeah. Oh, you know, I mean, I'd love to put Nürburgring back on my bucket list again. I know it's a lot harder to, to get there and get a licence to go and do the race and stuff uh, now than, than what it um, was back then. But if I could do another 24-hour at the Nürburgring, that would be amazing. A 24-hour race just sounds like... Sounds just like torture to me. I'm like, I just want to sleep. And if there's race cars going around, I'm not sleeping. So like, I just. Oh, oh that's my go to sleep music. Race cars. <laughs> race cars. <laughs> We've had we had someone say that. That was, Jess Dane said that. She said race cars put her to sleep. Oh, absolutely. I just get so much adrenaline. Yeah. I get adrenaline and excitement, and I'm like, let's go. This is race cars. The adrenaline gets pumping when I hear it. I'm like, I just love the sound of cars. So let's go. Let's go to work. I know I'm often, you know, get called a hoon or a bogan off my mates for putting the windows down at the traffic lights if there's a big beastie V8 or something. Do you try and race them? Never. Are you like, are you the one in your Excel and you're like, (laughs) (laughs) no, I've got my my, uh, go kart van, which is not very far. (laughs) Is it a manual or is it an auto? No, it's automatic. Come on. You can't even like drop the clutch and. (laughs) No, not in, not in the, uh, in the van. The race car's manual, obviously. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Sequential shift or H pattern? Oh, well, I've actually... Or paddle um, shift. 
Yeah, probably sequential, actually. Yeah. Oh, well, it wouldn't be manual. I mean, you know, the gear changes in the in the touring car back in the day were brutal on your hands and stuff. So anything to avoid that. I have. I'm just sitting here and I have no idea what you guys are talking about. <laughs> These shifting. <laughs> I wish I did not race cars. I was listening to I know your um yeah different kind of horsepower. That's it. No, I like the race cars, but I just I'm starting to think manual is just a bit of an inside joke that everyone's in on, and I'm not because I just don't understand it. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Well, maybe we can do a little you know instructional on it one. I've always said I wanted to race an Excel, and you race an Excel, and you're a driver coach. So there we go. We can start something there. Well, maybe we're going to do, start doing some business deals here. <laughs> it'll be, you know what it'll be? It'll be a Girls on the Grid slash Castrol sponsored XL. Yeah, that's hot. That's hot. That sounds like a wonderful idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Melinda Price, thank you so much for joining us on the Girls on the Grid podcast. To end this episode, what's going on? Give us the, give us the quick rundown on what is going on in your life right now. Well, I guess the exciting thing is I've spent the last six months, you know, trying to build up this little racing car and it's looking amazing and got all the new bits in. So, you know, next week is the first round. So it's time to actually hit the track and get out there and hopefully the the driver and the car are little weapons and we have an awesome weekend. I just want to thank you guys for having me on. I think it's fantastic what you're doing and I appreciate you thinking of me and, uh, you know, Keep up to date with the the little XL buggy. Maybe maybe we can have a girls on the grid uh, track day. Oh, I reckon absolutely. we'll um, I reckon we'll grab you on after your first round for a little snippet in in the episode and, and get your thoughts on how it all went. Awesome, that'd be great. Thanks for coming on, Mel. Awesome, thanks, Mel. Cheers. Huge thanks to Melinda Price for coming on the pod today. What an awesome woman she has done heaps and she has such an awesome story and she's she's overcome some challenges especially as well. yeah, what she's gone through mm. and for her to just be jumping back into it now it's it's really cool i actually didn't and, i didn't know i'm a i'm probably a bit young for the whole castro cougars thing me but too yeah yeah we really didn't but, know a whole lot about it but when uh when she started the excel again it came up on my social feeds and i was like Hell yeah, like that Castro XL mm. looks awesome and Castro are a really good friend of the podcast and like I've just been following it through through that. So it's like it looks so cool. And she has her mm. first race, I think maybe next week, based on when this comes out. So it'll be really good to see. Or maybe it was this week. I think it was this weekend. She's having her first <laughs> I was race just about this to weekend. Say that, yeah. So we don't know what her results are currently. Do you but want to check? Sure. Do well, some let's Google. have a look. Let's have a look. Um yeah. but we, so we don't know what her results are currently, but Good luck to her and her team, and we really hope that, like, it just seems like she's at the point now where she just wants to race to have fun. That's it. Like, she doesn't care about the results. She doesn't care about the corporate side. Like, she just wants to race, and she's gotten back into it after everything she's overcome to just race because she loves it. Mm -hmm. But even you think about what she did in the 90s with the Castrol Cougars, that, that was such a huge time for motorsport, and that was when it was really, like, at the pinnacle of being a men's sport mm. as well. So for, sure. for her, like, it, that's brave what she did. Yeah. And no, and I think it's but great. the Castrol because... to support something yeah. like that, yeah. what, 20, 30 years ago. But can you imagine even back then for girls to be able to see that, girls who were probably thinking, oh, yeah. I want to do this, but I don't know. And then for the Castrol Cougars to come on, it's it's a really cool thing. But so she's, she's, like, she's probably one of the first representations that 
a lot yeah. of people saw. Mm-hmm. In, yeah, in Australia, mm. for, sure. for sure. Even in the world, you know, at that yep. point, there would not have been a lot. But yeah, she's got an awesome story, so it's been really good to bring that to the light. P-Dog, Spriggs, what you got? That's me. What about fans? What about what about listeners giving us? What have they served up for us tonight? Okay, so Robbie has asked, who inspires you the most in what you do? Who do you look up to the most? Who do I look up to? Um, who has inspired you in your role today or starting? See, when I started, I never, ever saw any women doing what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So, like, very rarely. It's only been the last couple of years that I've actually started to see some women. So I really looked up to a lot of the boys, a lot of the men. Mm-hmm. Like, I was never – I suppose I grew up racing motocross. So I was very much – it was everything that I did as a kid was male-dominated or male-dominant. probably comfortable in that environment. And I've – and – I'm much I'm I'm a lot of a tomboy and I'm very very comfortable around a lot of men like in high school a lot of my friends were men or boys and I just really sort of thrived in that kind of environment so when I was growing up and decided this is what I was what when I was growing up and I decided this is what I was want, when I was growing up and I decided that this is what I wanted to do I actually looked to a lot of the men in the sport or doing video production or content creation or stuff and that's who I strive to be like. It didn't matter that they were a man. I was going to be working on the same kind of playing field as them. So people like so people like Lachlan Russell, Josh Walsh, pretty much like Ben Green, any of the people in the Supercars crew, I watched all their stuff. They were the sort of people that I really looked up to when I was kind of, you know, 15, 16, 17, just trying to get started. It was never, it was never about gender for me at that point. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to do it. What about you? I think for me, I well, growing up, obviously being around it so much, I was always very intrigued as to how the whole media thing, how the how the broadcast worked, how the the cameraman in the pit lane holding that camera on his shoulder, how did that just get to the screen? That was where my interest lies. So, I think I I probably I mean I know a lot of a lot of them now, but. Growing up, I would see the cameramen or the people just kind of running around behind the scenes doing the TV stuff. I was like, okay, that's what I want to be like. But it was it was Tanea. I saw there was no way I was going to walk up to one of the boys with the cameras and approach. Them. I was just way too scared. But when I saw Tanea, I suddenly thought, oh, hang on, there's another chick here who's approachable, and that was that is who inspired me. Still inspires me today oh, in what I do. Tis. But I think... And now look at you. You're just sitting next to me and record a podcast. I'm now doing a podcast. Oh, my Look God. at us. She's actually a really big fan of me. Yeah. I, I still get nervous around you. I still get shy. I still get nervous around you. What can I say? What can I say? <laughs> you got me stumbling <laughs> over my words here. It's not the cocktails. <laughs> um, no. So, yeah. Definitely Tanea. She's been a huge inspiration to me. How does it make you feel? Seeing where I am now, because you bought this on me. You you put this on me. See, when I'm trying to be like, oh, fig jam, look how good I am. I tease prayer about it. I'm like, oh, where would you be without? <laughs> just yeah. when I just want to just like get a kind of a bite out of it. Mm-hmm. But really, I still feel like I'm in the very beginning of my career. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard for me to comprehend. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to comprehend that I have 
sort of mentored someone when I'm only five, six years into my journey. Yeah. You know, you kind of come along, you you kind of sort of latched on to me very early. Like it was 2018, yeah. I'd done one full year with Gary Rogers Motorsport on the supercars. Mm-hmm. You were probably at a similar level to where I am now, I reckon. Yeah, even for a, sure. Even earlier. It, yeah. And so it was my, so I joined Gary Rogers Motorsport. So I joined Gary Rogers Motorsport and worked with them with their Wilson Security Holden Commodores in the start of 2018. I had a broken foot at the time. I was, I remember going. I remember that. You had the big boot. I remember going to the F1 Grand Prix on like a scooter. You know, those things where you have a moon boot on and like I was scooting like all the way down the F1 track on a moon boot. That was my first year in supercars. So actually I got nicknamed moon boot and it still (gasps) sticks. Like some, some people who I worked with in the team then, they're at different teams now or I see them at TCR events and like, hey, go on moon boot and like. That was four or five years ago. Yeah, wow. And it's just stuck. Uh-huh. So, but even that to me seems like yesterday. Yeah. So then it's actually, it's when someone asks me, like, how does it feel that sort of you're, me and you're at the same level now, because, like, I helped the process of whatever I did, like, just kind of oh, made yeah. it open some doors. Yeah, absolutely. Sort of open some doors. Yeah. Um, it's kind of half of my brain to comprehend, because mm. I still feel like I just started. Like, I still, every day I come to the track, I'm like, it's another day to get better. Like, I've still got so much to learn. I've got so many yeah. people to meet. I've got so many things to do. It's mm-hmm. never like, oh, yep, yeah, I've done it. Now I can just bring new people in. Like, I don't have that feeling at all. Mm-hmm. And I think it's almost, I can relate to that in a way because it's a bit weird for me now. Suddenly, I've got young girls coming up to me saying, how do I do this? And I'm like, well, wait, I'm still so new to it. I exactly. mean, I've been, I've been in it for a couple of years now, but... It still does feel very new. For sure. And I feel like, hang on, how can I be have an impact on these people? But we connected mm-hmm. when I was one year in. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, for you, you're two or three years in now, and now people are coming to you. Like, mm-hmm. when you come to me, I was like, I don't even... Fresh. You're like, teach me what you know. I'm like, I don't know anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I have lucked myself into this role so hard, and that's mm-hmm. a lie, because I, I worked so hard. But in my head, I'm like, I lucked into this so hard. Like, could have been any person that got this role. Yeah. But right place, right time. And I told, I told myself all the stories about how lucky I was or how this wasn't supposed to be me or, you know, you know, you tell yourself mm. these crazy stories. And you come up to me and I was, what was it was October. I was 10, nine months You were like, leave me this. alone. <laughs> Let me do my... I think, like, I, I, I shared our first messages and I was like, yeah. let's go. Yeah. I was like, I'll teach you oh, everything I awesome. know. In, like, 2018. And I think, back 2018, I didn't know anything. Yeah. I think it was that first, I remember that, driving mm, around on so the bikes at Bathurst. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. So cool. All right. So, Tanea, what are more ways girls can enter motorsport as photographers and videographers? We need more females. There's, there's three, oh, in the media center at Tassie this weekend, there's me and another girl tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, Priya is doing what we're doing but she's based out of a truck because like subtle flex you know she's too good for us in the media center that's it um but yeah how like it's a small media center this weekend so it's hard to really compare but that's not the point of the question Mm. how can more people do it i think it needs it needs to start young it needs people young people need to know that this is an option for them because i didn't i didn't know it was an option for me yeah me too you were what Mm. 17 you, so didn't, 16, know it. 17, you yeah. didn't know it was an option for you. Mm. And that's too late. Yeah. It's too late. They mm. need to know earlier. But, well, I guess it's kind of, it's probably one of those jobs that it's not so much hidden, but it's not 
You're behind the camera. It's not... How do I say it? Like, it's not promoted. Unless you're at the track and you're seeing it and you're like, oh, hang on. There's a chick who's on a camera there. You don't... If you're just looking at the content online, you don't know who's. You don't know if it's a if it's a twelve year old, if it's a fifty year old, if it's eighty year old, if it's a chick, if it's a dude, if it's a dog. Like you don't know. And I think I guess what I did and what my advice would be for people coming into the sport. I mean, it's not about you know they they say it's about who you know and everything. And and I was lucky in the sense where I grew up in the sport. I did have some contacts. My dad was able to get me a little bit of work experience in supercars TV. But through what I do now, that was all because I walked up to Tanea in the paddock and said, I want to do what you do. Because you'd love the sport. Though. Yeah. Like you first and foremost, you need to love the sport. And, and because, but because you love the sport, you come to events. Yeah. You'll come to yeah. events as a fan. You'll shoot from behind the fence. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll see people like me, like Charlie, like Jess, like Rihanna, like Priya, mm-hmm. like all these women who travel the circus, we call it. Like it is a, it's a traveling oh, yeah. circus. You'll see those people and they'll notice you, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I remember people who I've never spoken to before, but I see them around. Yeah. I've never, ever sp- I never had a conversation. They've never messaged me. I know nothing about them. But when you see someone 13, 14 times a year mm-hmm. or five or six times a year, at the same track, you draw these connections. And I may have never spoken to them, but I remember their face. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, that's... And then if that person was to come up to me in an event, I'd be like, hey, I've seen you for the past three years. I've seen you for the past three races in a row. Like, I know who you are. I know you're mm. keen. I know you want to do this. That's how you do it. Yeah. Or you volunteer. You do what I did. You do what, did what Charlie did. You do what Rihanna did. Mm. You volunteer. And if you volunteer, it just shows that you love it for more than the money. Yeah. Because you can't do this sport. If you just did it for the money, this is not the sport for you. It's like what Rihanna said. She said, if this is a job that you want to do, because you get to travel and that it's not for you because no. this is not a nine to five. You will, you will be told, okay, you're going to work what 8am till six today. You could end up at the track until nine, 10 o'clock at night. 100%. You, you, it's so unpredictable. And that's why you need to love it. Because... But think about a mechanic on a race team. They exactly. roll up at 6am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If their driver shunts, they could have it an be- all night off. It becomes a two, three, yeah. four, five am thing. Yeah. And then they're expected to front up and work the exact same a level of effort as they did 24 hours ago, mm-hmm. but on two hours sleep. That's, That's just it. the game. It just happens. Things are unpredictable, and you've got to be able to be on your toes. And it's at points like that that when you rely on your love and your drive yeah. for the sport, that's when that comes into it. I guess my advice personally there would be, first of all, love the sport, and you know, love, obviously take an interest in whatever it is you're going into. Don't just go into it because it's like, oh, I want to look cool while I hold a camera. <laughs> you don't look cool holding a camera. No, you don't. You feel, And you don't feel cool. <laughs> no, definitely not. And talk to people as well. Don't Put yourself be, out there. Network. Don't, don't be scared to talk to people. It can seem really scary, but once you do it, it's really not. And it 100%. also, it, it feels really good. For us as well, when for someone sure. comes up to you and says, oh, I really want to do what you do. It's, I still it's think a reward it, for us. I still think of myself as the fan yeah. who was going up to people like oh, Renee Winterbottom and all that yeah. sort of stuff. That's how I still feel. That's it. Next question. All right, I've got one for you. Okay. Do you know why Jess Gates doesn't wear <laughs> uniform like all the others? I think she's supposed to look like she's hot, like. Uniform, yeah, it just doesn't she do her just justice. does what she wants. <laughs> She's the host, man. She can do That's whatever it. she wants. That's it. And how does she always just look perfect? 
Well, come on. It's Jess Yates. <laughs> who we Jess need, Yates. Who we need to get on the podcast. We do. We do. Jess, if you're listening. We love you. Hit us up. We love you. She's not listening to this. She's on behalf posting for sports, you know. She's not listening to this. No. Jess, we love you. Come talk to us. All right. The answer to that is it's Jess Yates. She does whatever Jess she Yates wants. can do whatever Jess Yates wants. All right. So Craig has asked. Well, Craig has said, love the podcast, girls. Have, have either of you had any desire to race? Let me reword that whole thing. Okay. <laughs> is it? Is it? So, Craig has said, love the podcast, girls. Have either of you had any desire to race? Uh, for me, I grew up racing motocross. So, I raced motocross at a kind of national level from age four to 18. Uh, two wheels is my jam. I love, I love the feeling of two wheels. I like going fast on dirt. I mean, I'm pretty horrible in a higher card. We were karting after one of the Sydney rounds and like I was last. Like I got reamed like by like four seconds a lap. And I felt like in the cart, I felt like I was going so fast. Like I did a lap and I'm like, holy shit, that is so fast. Come in, I was like eight seconds off the other guys. And the other guys are like photographers and like media managers and people that I work with. And I'm like, how do I suck so hard? And then I just told them all when I was bottom of the timetables. I'm like, just... Just race me on a motorbike and just like, you oh, know, yeah. like I'll just be so much, yeah. I'll be so fast. I was just a big bravado about my two wheel skills. So no desire for four wheels. Uh, I feel like I'd be uh, lost. Like I just, I would, I would have the skills of a motorbike rider, which is go fast and keep going faster until you fall off, which is not good skills to have in a race car. So yeah, I'm just going to race bikes. Two wheels is my thing. That's fair. I think... She's a Richards. Like, she has a race car. Blood. She it's has race cars blood. driving through her blood. You know how other people have, like, blood cells? Prairie Richards I has race cars. I just have, like, car parts just flying through. You know the little magic school bus where it used to, like, go into your body <laughs> yeah. and it would, like, go through? That's, it? That's what sits in Prairie Richards. But it's not a magic school bus. It's, like, a V8 race. supercar. Yeah, multiple And the V8 cars. supercar just drives through her system. So, surely... It's naturally, yeah. It's definitely, I mean, for me, it was the same with my brother, though. He didn't gain an interest in it until he was 16, and now he races professionally. And same with my dad. He didn't have any interest until he was 16. Actually, no, maybe Clay was 14. He was a little bit younger. Dad was definitely 16. Yeah, definitely older. He did not care at all, and now he's a five-time Bathurst winner. Like, just random. It's Mm. weird, because, you know, Mm. you see so many drivers, you know, they race from when they're, like, seven. Yeah. Well, see, I started bikes at four. I'm not going to say bikes are superior, but... Yeah. Yeah. Well, no. <laughs> Shut up, no. <laughs> Um, I think when I was younger, I, I said this in the first episode, I was dragged. I had to be dragged. I had other interests. You wanted to race horses. Ride horses. No, oh. I was way too tall to race, unfortunately, but I, I did. I I've had never had anyone tell me I'm too tall for something. I'm like five foot three. <laughs> yeah. No, well, I want... No, that was the plan, actually. I did want to race horses, but... Outgrew that, and then I, I invented horses until I was 19, 18, 19. So, like, two weeks ago? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> no, unfortunately, it was a little while ago. Um, obviously, at that point, my interest, my interest in motorsport probably, it came about in my teens, and I realised when I was 16 that I wanted to work in motorsport, but I never really 
had that desire to race up until I think even in the last couple of years. Although I do I do remember as a teen saying to dad, Oh, I, I wanna have another go kart. Like I, I wanna just race. do what Renee Winterbottom did and get her dad to buy her and then like go, and factory then, carts. But be like, no thank you. And then say, No, I don't like the vibration. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. So good. I love that. But no, dad said, Alright, well that's fine, but you can pack up your horses and sell them and I went, Oh, no. no thank you i'll just keep filming them yeah yeah cool <laughs> so yeah that was the path i took it was either i could i guess i could race them and give up horses or i could just be a cameraman and i chose being a cameraman i mean good choice at a point now where i probably if i wanted to fund myself i could probably maybe jump in a go-kart once oh, every God. year <laughs> that sounds like horrible but who knows who knows what could happen right what else you got it's rather late here. I need yeah, a nap. Yeah. It's been a big day. What inspires you to create? Oh, this is heavy for nine is... fifty-eight on a Sunday night. Yeah, this. Ooh, it's deep. I mean, it'd be very easy to say race cars, but <laughs> it's not about race cars. It's not. Me. I get the same feeling whether I film a wedding or I film a race car. Well, that's my thing. I mean, my interest in filming didn't even start in race cars. It started yeah, with horses. horses. Yeah. My thing was, I loved, and this sounds like no one else is going to understand this, but I just loved watching horses move in slow motion. For, For some sure. reason, that has always been my Forget thing. That. Like, holy shit, this animal is just cool to watch. That yeah. That's what inspired me yeah. creatively when I was younger. See, for me, it's all about being able to capture a moment in time. Mm-hmm. Being able to press a button that then records a moment a thing someone moving someone talking someone doing something and then i have that Mm -hmm. like it's almost like it's capturing memories that's what it always was for me and like it's it's some kind of sick sort of powerful power thing i don't know but like if i press that red button I then have, I have that forever. Yeah. Whatever it is. It doesn't matter if it's someone putting their helmet on. It doesn't matter if someone, but like I filmed a couple of weddings and I film and I love filming weddings for friends and family because I feel so connected. And when I, when I'm the person that captures like their first kiss, it's like magic. You know, like if they're together for 20, 30, 40, 50 years and they're looking at this in 50 years time. Yeah. Like how special is that? Yeah. You know? And like, and I also think about when I make a video for a race car driver. At some point, they're going to be 50 or 60, and they're reminiscing, and yeah. they're looking at the things that I created for them. Yeah. And, like, the sure. constant, what inspires me, other than that, is the constant desire to be better. Mm-hmm. Like, you are never the best you can be, because there's always someone so much better than you. Yeah. It's like when millionaires buy a yacht, mm-hmm. they roll up and park their yacht, and there's a yacht that's bigger than theirs next to them, they're not satisfied. I guess for us, it's like... That's being, how I feel when I create. It's being able to express yourself, 100%. in a way. And... And be able to tell a story and then, but then tell it better. Even today, even today, I've been doing this for six or seven years now. And I saw like this opportunity just to get, capture this sun flare behind like a Castrol flag on a transporter. And I'm like to Priya, I'm like, oh, like I just, it grabbed out of my eye and I was like, this will look sick. And I was in Priya standing next to me. I'm like, hang on. Like, watch this. I was like, look how cool this is. And Priya goes, she goes, oh, girl's got the eye. And I, like, bend over and get into my stance and, like, And we're just frothing over this shot of the back of a truck. And anyone else would look at that and be like, you guys are crazy. But just, (laughs) so I I set it up how I moved. 
Like if I moved like maybe 30 centimetres, stayed still, and Priya will tell you now I'm actually moving my hands to re, re kind of create this shot in a hotel room. But I was standing there and like if I was in one spot, the camera was like kind of blanked out by sun. The sun was peering over the side of the truck. And then as I moved, sun went behind the truck, but still come through the flag and it kind of like glistened. Mm. And like, that's the back of a truck. Mm. And, and I got so excited. It tells a story. The I back was of that so truck. excited. Yeah. That story to me tells us the yeah. end of the day. Yeah. We're winding down, the day is done, the sun is setting. Mm. You know, it's kind of a magical mm. moment. And yeah, I got excited over a truck today. So after but, six years, that's pretty cool. I can still do that. Yeah. It's a lot more than just picking up a camera and filming something. Oh, for sure. It's so much more than that. And it's probably something that we're almost naturally born with, in a way. You have to, you have, to have the eye. I think. Oh, yeah, for People sure. People either have the eye, they don't have the eye. And I've been like that since I was really little. I got my first video camera when I was quite young and I never put it down. I was, I was that friend who, on a night out, People would come to me because it'd be like, she filmed everything. Like, I was just always filming everything. I had my phone in everyone's face. Just capturing all the moments. That's it. It's moments. For sure. 100%. What a really cute way to end the podcast. Look, Priya, I'm kind of sick of talking to you. Yeah, can you leave? This is... I I never want to do a live pod with you again. Can we just keep it on Riverside, please? Ouch. (laughs) Oh, the so people I have got just, to tell us. No, 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 no. I can people. press end and you're gone. Now you have to kick me out of your hotel <laughs> I'm just going to stay here for the night. I snore really bad. Too. I just saw the the lack of look on your face. <laughs> I'm cut, team. I'm cut. I need a new pod host. <laughs> all right. You're all right. You're all right. You're all right. You can stay. No. no, but seriously, this has been a lot of fun. And yeah. this live element is... It's different. I like it. It feels different. It's... It's a good vibe. Like, yeah. we just, seriously, we had no plan for this and we just chatted. Yeah. It was just a ramble, wasn't it? It was cool. And I'll probably be one of our longer pods now because of that. You're welcome. People we know you guys can't get enough of us. Talk smack. Anyway, guys, we thank you for lending us your ears for another week of Girls on the Grid, episode eight. Eight weeks in a row. That's two months. That's two I months actually, of us I talking to each other. It. I remember our first episode being so nervous and like, oh my god, it's oh my just god, I'm doing a podcast. Oh. And now it's just, it's vibes. That's my only word. Vibes. <laughs> it's my word for everything. Vibes. vibes. It's vibes. Vibes. At least you don't yes. do the peace sign in every single photo you've ever taken in your life. <laughs> I have a problem. I love a piece. I love it. I just throw a piece. This is the iconic tomato piece. You guys can't see what I'm doing right now, but I'm doing it. She's throwing a piece sign. And if you've ever seen any selfie ever... I've got peace. And like the. And a big cheesy. My signature is vibes. Your signature is peace. Peace. I'm really not a peaceful person. I'm not sure if it suits me, but I'm going to keep going. And anyways, anyways, we're going to go because it's late and we're going to go to bed and we've got a big day of work tomorrow because someone's got to do it. Someone has got to do it. I'm kidding. That sounds really like pretentious. We absolutely love it. We're just talking about how much we love it. Like we love it so much. It's also 10 o'clock. Yeah, let's go. All right. Peace. Love you guys. That's my thing. (laughs) Stop that. You've just listened to another Network R production.